Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the parting of the Red Sea. We will be talking today about death and drowning. Please keep this in mind as you join us. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Llewellyn, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so this happens to be one of the readings for this coming Sunday, correct? Correct. And I feel like we've started to need to give several content warnings on our podcast recently, but... I think we're just more sensitive to the content warnings than we may have been in the past. There's that, and the Bible has a lot of hard content. Yes. And we're almost 375 episodes into our podcast, and we're getting into some deeper content Mm -hmm. at this point. So... There it is. We're going to dive into this because we're not a, we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. Okay. So refresh our memory a little because it has been a while since the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and his staff Mm -hmm. have been on TV because that's usually around Easter time. Yes. So this passage that is going to be read on Sunday morning, and this will be for those churches that are using the semi-continuous lectionary. Okay comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 to 31. So if you are someone that would like to put this on pause and go grab yourself your scripture or pull it up on the screen, you can certainly do so. Again, that is Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 to 31 is what we are looking at. And I think when we talk about the parting of the Red Sea, when we think about it kind of secularly or when we think about it in passing kind of conversation, we think about that really cool image of Moses taking the staff and slamming it into the water and Mm -hmm. the water going up on both sides and like people walking through on dry land. Yeah, it's a miracle. It's miraculous in any case. Absolutely. And like, I don't know about you, but like I think of maybe the movie Prince of Egypt and like fish swimming alongside the people, Uh right? Like it gives that kind of aquarium tunnel vibe Mm -hmm. where you walk through the aquarium and there's all the creatures swimming around you and you're like, yeah, I'm in the sea with the creatures. Yeah. And I'm walking to freedom and safety. Yeah. Right. Like it's a good thing. It's Mm -hmm. like a powerful, cool thing. Look, there's a shark, but I'm safe. Wow. Right? So this is the part we focus on. This is the part we think of. This is the part of the story we tell our kids. Yeah, but when we talked about this particular subject, your face was not thinking of something miraculous. Your face said something else entirely. It did. Because that's like four or five of these verses total. Because there's a whole other side of this. Because the story is not just about people being saved by crossing the sea. It's about the people, the Egyptian army, being wiped out. And that is a part, I think, that when we tell this as a Sunday school story, which is oftentimes where our education stops. Oh, absolutely. Is that Sunday school, Mm -hmm. right? That we stop and we don't get the other part of the story. So in the same way that we don't think about 
Noah's Ark, we don't think about all of the people around the Ark perishing. We don't think about the fact that the Egyptian army is also involved in this story. So we're going to take a little bit closer look. So the people of Israel come up to the Red Sea in the evening. Moses puts the staff into the water. The waters part. Dry land is in front of them. Mm -hmm. But here's one piece of this. It's not in this portion of the scripture, but this is part of the story that they had to begin walking before the water began to part. Okay. They had to start walking into and through the water before the water began to part. So there's a little bit of a leap of faith before you even start the whole thing. Exactly. So that is one of those pieces that's an important section of the story that, again, we tend to look over. We, mm -hmm. we tend to think it's, you know, one miraculous piece, but there's not. There's also this miraculous courage of trusting God is going to see you through. Mm -hmm. So they begin to walk through. And the pillar of cloud and fire that has been leading the way for the Israelites this entire time shifts from the front of the gathering mm -hmm. and moves to the back between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So now this giant pillar of cloud is in between the Egyptians and Israelites, and it becomes nighttime. And the Israelites began walking through the Red Sea through the night on dry land. And as they are walking, you have those two walls mm -hmm. of water on each side of them, to the right and to the left. And the people walk through with the pillar of cloud behind them. The Egyptian army follows them into this dry land area. They follow with their chariots and their armor and all of their weapons and all of the weight, right? Their horses. Oh, yeah. They're still expecting to be victorious in all of this. Absolutely. And they pursue. As morning dawns, the people of Israel have reached the other side of the bank. The pillar of cloud and fire stands before the Egyptians. And morning dawns. So verse 24, at the morning watch, God in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. I kind of can't believe they weren't in panic before this, but okay, I'll go with it. They couldn't necessarily see it. It had been dark. Sure. It was nighttime and it was just dry land before them, right? Sure. They didn't know they had come up to the Red Sea. Wow. Okay. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. So now it's no longer dry land. Mm -hmm. Now they're getting mud. Now they're getting silt. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers 
the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. It's so hard because you're still supposedly rooting for the Israelites, right? We are. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next verse is the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the water forming a wall for them on their right, on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This begets incredible faith in the people. Mm -hmm. This begets incredible trust in Moses as a leader. It is this time of, of an incredible miracle. It is a time of incredible salvation. After this happens, Miriam sings an incredible song of jubilation. It is a moment when the people have been saved from being killed themselves. I mean, the Egyptian army is not out there just for fun. They're mm -hmm. not out there to, like, give them a pat on the back and wish them well. They're out there to kill them. And the people of Israel were not warriors or battle-hardened people. They were craftspeople, and they were individuals who had capacities to build and to raise children and those kinds of skills. So, yeah, they were not a threat in that way. Right. They were a different kind of threat, mm -hmm. right? They were not a warrior band yet, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. They weren't a, a warrior band yet. And so this was a way that God saved and protected God's people. So we have this incredibly difficult story because it is a story of salvation for some and a story of death and destruction for some. Mm-hmm. And we look at this and wonder, how can we, how do we see and understand miracle and salvation and God's action within and through all of this? Because it also seems to echo so much of the unrest that we see in the world and that we tend to portray one group as the underdog good guy and the other group is being out to get them. And you forget that when one triumphs, something terrible is happening to the other side either way. And whose side God is on yeah. always depends on whose side you're looking from. Yeah, and whose story you're listening to. And does anybody really, truly win in any of these situations? Are you really all on the side of good and all on the side of bad or vice versa? I don't know. It gets sticky. So sticky. So phenomenally sticky. So when you come up across something like this, mm-hmm, how does this get taught to you in like seminary? Is there any direction in terms of ways to be able to talk about these stories or is it just another thing that good luck <laughs> more power <laughs> to you? I think we're given tools on where to go to read commentary from other scholars and from those who've done a lot more study. So for example, I will go to Safaria. And I will go to this website because, again, this is Hebrew scripture. Yeah. Right. This is deeply sacred Hebrew scripture. So do you go to the Hebrew scholars then? 
Exactly. And ignore or just skip whatever anybody else might have to say about it? Um, I do. Okay. That's where, where I have come to in my place where I am now in my studies. Sure. I tend to not look at Christian commentary on Hebrew scripture, at least not first and foremost. Sure. I tend to first go to this website called Safaria, S-E-F-A-R-I-A. Okay. And Safaria is a website that is a Hebrew commentary website. It has incredible commentaries from amazing Hebrew scholars. And while a lot of it is in Hebrew, there is quite a bit in English that can be accessed if you do not have Hebrew as a second language or a third or fourth language. You can read from different scholarly commentaries. You can read from rabbinical commentaries. You can read from different people. Hebrew scholars kind of go back and forth on things. There are different kinds of commentaries that you can dig into. Okay. And they go line by line, verse by verse. Okay. And... I will spend an hour or three just going line by line reading commentaries and trying to parse out like, okay, what was said according to these scholars hundreds of years before Jesus? What is being said in the contemporary rabbinical studies? Like, what can I access? What can I understand from rabbinical traditions and commentaries about this and how it holds within the Jewish tradition before I put any Christian take on it. Mm -hmm. How can I understand it more within its own context? And then maybe I'll go to some Christian commentaries to see how we're trying to make sense of it within our own context. But that's where I begin. And I'm super grateful to have learned about that resource because it's accessible for me mm -hmm. to be able to get to very easily and gives me some rich opportunity to at least try to comprehend something. Are you often surprised at the take from the rabbinical standpoint or is it more of a, oh, okay, that makes sense? I was when I was digging into some of the pieces earlier this summer. Okay. There were a couple of pieces that really did surprise me. And so I'm very curious to see what comes up this week for this particular passage. So we'll see. So when you saw this particular passage, what gave you the most pause? Was it the, oh, it's mass casualties? Or was it, oh, it's an act of God causing mass casualties? Or is it just all part and parcel? Oh, good question. I think it's the mass casualties. It's a very good question that is it because it's an act of God mm -hmm. here that is doing it. I think because our theodicy, which is the study of why bad things happen to good people, mm -hmm. right? This does God make bad things happen in our congregation. I think that most of the people who show up on Sundays have a pretty clear theodicy that it is not God who makes bad things happen mm -hmm. to people. And so that didn't actually cross my mind that it was an act of God and we need to be worried about acts of God happening and killing everybody again. So now that that's in my head, maybe <laughs> I should address that. But that didn't cross my mind. It's more the mass casualty issue. Okay. And recognizing that mass casualties 
are something that we are thinking of in our culture and we are seeing a lot of in our culture and in our time in history. And so how do we understand mass casualty events? How do we process mass casualty events? How do we memorialize mass casualty events? All of those kind of pieces. How do we storytell mass casualty events? Those kinds of pieces are wonderings in my mind as I look at this. Mm -hmm. It's that wondering, okay, here is a story of mass casualty that has been told throughout history. We have glossed over the story of the casualty. What does that say? How have we erased the cost of freedom for the people of Israel? What does that, hmm, I wonder, I notice. I notice that that is not a part of the story that I have heard very often. Mm -hmm. I wonder why we ignore that part of the story. I notice that part of the story makes me uncomfortable, right? Like I just start kind of pulling at those threads and wondering and noticing about them and then wondering and noticing about our own ability or inability to include the mass casualty parts of our own stories and do that kind of storytelling with integrity. We tend to use it almost like a Bible bullet in that we will talk about a mass casualty when it suits our cause and mm -hmm. when it moves our feelings forward, right? Like mm -hmm. we'll talk about 9-11 and the loss of life, but we don't really talk much about the shockingly high number of people who died in the pandemic anymore because everybody just wants that to be over, right? Yeah. So it's also, when is it moving your agenda forward and when is it not? And what does that say about our culture? What does that say about whose stories get told and whose stories get forgotten mm -hmm. and erased? Right? That's the kind of questioning and that's the kind of discomfort that starts to get pulled at, which is good and uncomfortable mm -hmm. all at the same time that comes up when I see this kind of a passage and I start thinking about Sunday sermon mm -hmm. and wonder, oh, well, what am I supposed to preach on this? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Holy Spirit, I have no idea what you're wanting here. Um, all right. Great. Well, that begs the question, are you going to preach on it this Sunday? I don't know. <laughs> I needs more research. It needs more research and it needs more time. I think preachers are told to preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So I will be keeping an eye on the news and what's going on in our world to be wise about what is happening in the world at the same time. But it, it is always fascinating to me when a passage like this that I am kind of uncomfortable with mm -hmm. shows up and maybe I need to preach on it. So we'll see. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. And it stems from what you just said about having the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Do you ever get to the point where it's a topic that is fresh? It's a topic you think needs to be addressed, but you also have to deal with, it's too soon. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 
I have had that happen. Hurricane Katrina, the weekend of Hurricane Katrina. It was way early in my ministry. And so how I managed that early in my ministry was that I preached on the psalm and I moved the sermon to mostly be prayers of the people because that congregation didn't have prayers of the people at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I talked about the psalm being prayers and then we prayed because it was too much grief for the community and for the country while the disaster was ongoing. Interesting. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the parting of the Red Sea. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening along. Who knows what's going to end up in the pulpit this Sunday? You are welcome to come check it out and join us for worship on Facebook or join us on Zoom if you want. You can shoot us an email at podcast at centralportland.org for that link if you are interested. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.